There are 40 teams of intercessors that have come this week to 40 American cities. Come on out, please. Pastor on. We just come on this way a little more. Have come to pray for uh, our country that we would not continue the moral fall that we have been in. Pastor David, here's a microphone. Would you say a few words here, please? Well, this is day five for Team 13, led by Pastor Han Han Chang Ho. And there is another uh, pastor with the group, Pastor Lee. And they have been in many places praying for our nation. At least 12 prayer meetings, and that's the ones that uh, we were a part of. But they also prayed at the tabernacle on the Church of God campground many times at night after we left them. They're concerned about our nation, that it should not go down in the direction that it's going now. So they came to pray for us. The team last year prayed fervently and seeded into, we believe, the outpouring at Asbury University just last February, this February. So we're so pleased to have you. We thank you, and uh, you have blessed us truly. And tonight we have our last service at 6 o'clock. Come out and join us as we pray for our country How many know our country needs prayer urgently? Okay, come out tonight. Thank you. Lord Jesus, as we study your word today, we just thank you that your words are faithful and true. So change us today, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Turn with me to Revelation. How many have your Bibles? Hold them up. Let me see them. Got your Bibles? We got some in the for you if you need one. Revelation 21, we'll start at verse 22 in just a minute. It's where we started and we're talking about the new Jerusalem. Part two, what part is it? Okay. Part two is the number before part three and after part one. So we're going to pick up where we left off. What I'd like to do today is I just follow up on what we did last week is to give you a preview of your future home. Did you know you have a home awaiting you? And it's a great home. And I want to tell you about the home. But we only see a few puzzles about that. And these are some things that John saw. Now... uh, We're going to backtrack just a little bit from two weeks ago. John saw this. He saw a place that was so beautiful that he could not describe it. And I don't know about you, I love to travel and I have seen a few beautiful places. Have you seen some beautiful places? I mean, there's beautiful places right here in our city. 
But I've seen some places. I got out of the car and went, oh, my goodness. Stepped off the plane and went, I can't believe that. Well, this place called the New Jerusalem will be like that. And this place is prepared for you. I want everyone to say for me. Everyone say that it's prepared for me. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. If it were not true, I never would have said it. But I go to prepare a place for you. And it's more real than Seoul. It's more real than London, England. It's more real than New York. It's more real than Cincinnati. This is the most real of all real places. And this city is enormous. I've been to Istanbul, I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago, four times. First time I was there in Istanbul, I could not believe it because the young man that I went to support and hang out with for a while, I was on the back of his motorcycle and he told me that the city was a hundred miles wide. Some of our cars would run out of gas before we even crossed that city. But this place is so much bigger. Well, how big is it? Well, let's just read. Verse 13. This place called the New Jerusalem. There are three gates on the east. Where? Three gates on the north. Three gates on the south, three gates on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod. And he said, the same measurements of earth are the same measurements of heaven. Verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width. And then he measured the city. The city is 500 miles long and 1,500 miles wide. Think, it's from Savannah, Georgia to Denver, Colorado. It's from Miami to Boston. That's a big city. So it is 1,500 miles this way. It is 1,500 miles this way. And then John adds something that is so amazing. It is 1,500 miles this way. Wow. Everyone say wow. This is an artist's rendering of what that would look like. Now, this is not in your notes. A friend of mine sat down with a calculator and started doodling. And this is what he came up with. The gates are made out of one single pearl, this chapter says. And the gates may be 200 feet tall. Three gates, east, west, north, south. So how many gates? Twelve gates. Very good. Which says to me there's at least 12 Main streets or avenues. 
Isn't that logical? And those streets may be 10 miles wide. I don't know. Follow with me. And so as these streets intersect, that leaves 16 squares that the streets divide. Each square would have 18 million acres in it. Anybody like to have a little farm, a little ranch? If there were floors or levels in the city, and I do not believe this is like one big atrium, and there were levels, and I'm being conservative, and if the levels are one mile apart, that's still pretty tall. That means there would be 7,500,000 Main Streets. That means there would be 937,500,000 squares. Now, I urge you to use your imagination when you read the scriptures. Put yourself in the story so you can experience what the Holy Spirit says. This is a place I've always wanted to see. It's called the King Ranch in South Texas. I had never spent much time in Texas just kind of passing through. And I got my wife to go with me and we saw Texas. How much Texas can you see in nine days? We saw a lot of Texas. We saw a couple of baseball stadiums. We saw... Oh, gosh, what's the name of that island? We did see Padre Island. We saw Galveston that was destroyed by a hurricane. We saw the Alamo. We saw Chip and Joanna Gaines stuff in Waco, Texas. If you go there, you got to see their stuff. But I wanted to see this place because of the story. This old sea captain for $1,200, bought something like 150,000 acres for $1,200. And he kept buying. He kept buying because, now there's a picture of the land in South Texas. The King Ranch is that little red square. It's not little. It's bigger than the state of Rhode Island. And they've sold off parts of the King Ranch, but today they only have 825,000 acres. And they grow a lot of these things down there. Everyone say, moo. Why are you telling me this, Steve? Let's say there's been 30 billion people that have lived on this planet and the planet is a lot younger than some people think, I believe. And if every one of them went to heaven, and the scripture says everyone will not, the road leading to destruction is broad and there's a lot of people on it. The way leading to eternal life is narrow and there's few on it. But if everybody went to heaven that's ever lived, 
That meant each little family got about 198 square miles for their little farm. Which would be about one-sixth the size of the King Ranch. Now, when I followed the Lord and quit my job at a newspaper and left my family and came to Kentucky to go to seminary, I turned my back on a 200-acre farm that I wanted to build a log cabin on and raise horses and cows on it, but I had to leave it to follow the Lord. Here's my encouragement. Anything you leave in this world, you're going to get it back. So don't worry about holding on to stuff. You're going to leave it behind anyway. Now, let's look at verse number 22. Are you with me? Revelation 21, verse 22. John said, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Let me say that again. Its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will never be night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Let's come back to this. This is surprising for a man in his 90s who had loved the temple and he had seen the vision and revelation of a temple in heaven, but he is stunned. There is no temple in the new Jerusalem. And he just said, well, Lord, how can this be? This is an artist rendering of what Solomon's temple looked like in the days of Christ. It was the center of worship for the people of Israel. The point is the Almighty and the Lamb, Jesus, are the focus of our worship, not a building. The building is gone. Here we have a wonderful congregation. This building is not the church. We just use the building. The church uses the building. But they are there. Well, who? The Lord God Almighty and His Son, the Lamb. They are there in person. Everyone say in person. And the point to me is there's no need for symbols. Well, what symbols are you talking about? Well, the cross is a symbol. It's a powerful symbol, but it's a symbol of a greater reality. The Lord's table, which we will take soon, is a symbol of a greater reality. It is a picture. And I know the presence is there. Wherever you see a congregation that meets and worships anywhere in the world, it is a symbol of something greater. And 
Does anybody know what this is? This is a symbol that the early church, when Rome was persecuting and killing Christians, if you were a Christian and you thought this new man you met was a Christian, you would take your foot and draw an ark if he knew what it was. He would take his foot and draw an intersecting arc. And it was a sign that both were followers of the fishermen. And the Greek letters in the center stand for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And that is called ichthus. Everyone say hallelujah. hallelujah. But that's still a symbol. So... The symbol is just temporary compared to what is genuine. And the presence of God is the genuine. It is his presence that is true. His presence that you cannot dispute. His presence is real and authentic. This is a picture of a building in South Carolina where I heard the gospel as a drunk 18-year-old. Raised in church, but I had never had the presence of God. It's amazing. The presence didn't come in the church, but the presence of God came in front of a bar at midnight on Saturday night. I was not looking for God. He was looking for me. And he knew the precise moment in time when my heart would be open. And there were two Baptist street preachers in suits in 1972, which was really weird. Short hair, coat and tie, when a lot of, a lot of people were potheads and drunks and long hair, beads and bell bottoms. And I felt like when I came out of that door, there was a holy one out in the street I didn't know was there. And he had a harpoon. That was about eight or ten feet long. And when I came out and I heard those two men sharing the gospel, he drew back the invisible one and threw that harpoon and hit me square in the chest. And I said to myself, what they have is real. And then the invisible one kept his hand on the rope and kept pulling it and pulling it and pulling it until about 60 days later, I'd given my heart to Christ and I was a new creation. Why? Because of the presence of God. Our vision statement is lives changed by the presence of God. Say that with me, please. Lives changed by the presence of God. You see, it's the presence of God that every person on earth is looking for. They don't realize it. But there's people all around us who are thirsty. They want to know what's true. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for peace and they can't find it. And so when you meet someone that's not doing well, why don't you just befriend them? Why don't you take them to lunch? Why don't you ask questions because the Holy Spirit is working 
and they're looking for living water. Someone say amen. Now here's something else John saw. This spectacular city had no need for the sun. This amazing city had no need for the moon. Because the brilliance of the Almighty radiated through that immense place. And as I said and read earlier, the lamp is the lamb. Jesus Christ is the word of God. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He is the lamp. He is the power company. He is the grid. And I don't know about you, I love light. I get up in the morning, I make a cup of coffee, I go to the windows, and I open the blinds because I want light. I like to read where there's light. I like to walk in the light. Shoot, I come here and I cut on lights. I probably shouldn't cut on. I just love lights. Do you need light? Hold your hand up. Do you need light? I need light. I need light every single day. Now, there's a number of verses about light. I want you to repeat with me, please. Say it with me. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. You flip on the light switch and the roaches and the spiders and the rats run. And John saw that there's no darkness at all in this marvelous capital. Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are children of light. All of us, if you've given your heart to Christ, you are a child of light. And we should not tolerate darkness in our own hearts. Now we have to be careful about messing with other people's darkness, but I got to worry about the darkness in my own heart. Here's some other verses. Please repeat them with me, please. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Darkness is absence of light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's another verse. Say it with me, please. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. You're not part of that kingdom. That lifestyle is not you. You've been delivered. You've been saved. Stay out of it. Stay in the light because you're a son and daughter of light. One more. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the question is, are you following? The more you follow, the more light you will have. Now, verse 24. John gave us a few more little clues, like pieces of the puzzle. He said, the nations will walk by its light. I love the word nations. The word nations is not like South Korea. It's not Canada. 
it's Russia, it's ethnic groups within those boundaries. There's about 7,000 unique people groups in the globe. And there's about 3,000 of them that have never heard the name of Jesus. There's no church in their midst. There's no missionary in their midst. There's no Bible translated into their tongue. But here we see the new Jerusalem, the nations walk by the light. God loves diversity. He doesn't want us to be like everybody else. We're all made wonderfully unique. And then those nations thrive as they walk in the light. Our country thrives as long as we walk in the light. We choose darkness and darkness overcomes us. Here's something else that's interesting. John saw kings, rulers, and leaders in the heavenly realm coming to the new Jerusalem to pay homage to the true and living king on the throne, to worship him and to seek his counsel, the counsel of the one true God. You do know there will be a lot of rulers in the next realm. Those that have been faithful in little will be honored by being faithful in much. He who has been faithful in 10 things, Jesus said, he will one day rule over 10 cities. Now let's go back to the text. Let's go to the next chapter. We'll do five verses. Then he showed me a river. Everyone say river. Of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Verse 3. There will no longer be any curse, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the bond servants will serve Him. And they will see His face. Isn't that awesome? And his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them and they will reign forever. This is fascinating. John saw a broad deep, sparkling, amazing river. He called it the river of life. Now there's some amazing rivers around the world. The Nile River is the longest river in the world at 4,000 miles. Look at this satellite photo of that amazing, ancient, powerful, historic river. This is another river. Does anybody know where this is? 
This is the Riverwalk in San Antonio, Texas. You got it right. Uh, it started, it was created for a reason we may not see. The San Antonio River flooded its banks in 1921. 51 people drowned and 30 people disappeared and they never found them. So the city of San Antonio decided, let's protect our citizens. And out of that desire to protect citizens became this beautiful, glorious place called the Riverwalk. How many have seen it? Hold your hand up. Okay. It's impressive. It is 15 miles long. And at the Riverwalk, you can shop, you can dine, you can bike, you can float, you can relax, you can stay. It's the number one tourist attraction in that area. Here's my point. If engineers and a city... And men can build something so beautiful. What do you think is awaiting you in heaven? Here's what John saw. He saw the water was as clear as crystal. This is Jamaica. It is the clearest water I have ever seen in my life. It'll be clearer than this. And he said this mighty river flowed from the very throne of God. And it flowed through the middle of the new Jerusalem. And along the banks of this holy waterway, Singular, which I'm having a hard time getting my head around, was the tree of life. Now, I'm trying to think, was that tree of life in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter 3, it was the center of that mammoth garden, the tree of life. Now, I don't know how this works. I don't know if it's one big tree that covers the tops and the banks. If you go to Colorado in September, you see the majestic, awesome aspen trees with golden leaves and white trunk. And instead of many trees, it's actually one tree. And their roots join. And they may go on for miles and miles and miles. This supernatural tree produces 12 kinds of fruit and it suggests that there's a different fruit every month. Now this is this is mind-blowing. The trees, the tree of life has most unusual healing properties and it comes from the leaves. There is a tree that is native 
to West Africa. Maybe it's East Africa. I'm trying to think of the name of it. And wherever the British Empire was, they took seedlings of this tree. I saw them in India. I saw them in Jordan. And the people of India, it's the, I think it's called the mean tree. And the Indians would call it their pharmacy. Because the properties of the sap, the properties of the bark, the properties of the tree, they could grind up and use for health purposes. He say, Steve, I don't understand. Why would tree leaves be there for healing? I mean, aren't we already in our new bodies when we get here? Why do we need healing? Apparently it is needed or it wouldn't be there. Or else it is an amazing gesture of love that the Father gives his people. Or third reason I thought of early this morning. Maybe at times healing is a process and healing is a journey. Who knows? No longer any curse in the new Jerusalem. What's a curse? Well, a curse happened when the first humans, real people, chose against God, chose to satisfy their need and listen to the tempter, and we inherited something called a sin nature. Which just means all of us have a problem with selfishness. Do I have any selfish people in here? I got some of that. Yeah, we're made in God's image, but also we have a sin nature. It all started in the Garden of Eden. And yet, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, broke the curse, redeemed us from the power of the curse, and set us free from the curse. Would everyone repeat this verse with me, please? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So God will never have to judge sin again in the new Jerusalem, in the new realm, the new heaven, the new earth. Why? Because it just won't exist. No pride, no selfishness, no fear, no lust. It won't be there. That's a pretty good deal. Now let's look at a couple other verses. Look at chapter 21, verse 27. And John wrote, And nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying will ever come into this city, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now go back. About 19 verses, look at verse number 8. And I suggest you circle verse number 8. You mark it. I've opened my Bible and shown it to a lot of people at lunch, especially men, as I've shared the gospel with them. Look at, look at the categories in verse number 27 and verse number 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, immoral people, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, 
which is the second death. Well, Steve, what's this about? He told us. Nothing unclean will enter this beautiful, perfect, wonderful, holy city. And it's not because you got dirty shoes or your hair's unwashed or you got dirty hands. It's about the heart. We as humans... From time to time, our hearts have been unclean. And there are seven categories. Look at the categories. The first one is cowardly. Please repeat that with me. Cowardly. What do you mean, Steve? Are you calling me a coward? Not calling you a coward. But are there times you didn't speak up? Are there times you didn't act? Are there times you were not responsible Because you were afraid and you backed away. One category. Another category, unbelieving. Say unbelieving. What do you mean unbelieving? Unbelieving means you have the truth. God has spoken to you. You've had a door open and you chose not to go through it. No, not for me. Another category is abominable. This is not the monster that lives in Nepal. What does it mean, abominable? It means something so disgusting. You wish you'd never done it 30 years ago. You wish you'd never said it. You hope nobody finds out. That the scripture calls an abomination. Here's another category murder well i haven't killed anybody at least in a couple weeks okay well how about this have you hated people are you angry person are you bitter is there anybody on the planet that you hate today well if jesus has forgiven you This is his command, that we forgive everyone that's hurt us. Here's another one, immoral. Immoral talks about sexual sin. You disobeyed the Lord. You crossed the line. That's called immorality, and there's lots of classifications for it. Or sorcerers. You say, sorcerers? I don't have a a cauldron. I don't have a hat. I'm not flying on a broom. Well, uh, this comes in lots of form. I was in a church one time, and we had a bazaar, and one of the ladies brought in a palm reader and thought that'd be really fun. I go, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. People... Companies sell Ouija boards where people get in a circle and they ask spirits to come. People have seances where they ask spirits to come and tell them, well, we want mom to come back from the dead. Bring mom back from the dead. What's happening is you are going away from God to get information from darkness. 
horoscopes, Wicca, witchcraft. We have in our country, our city, the rise of Satanism, where there's Satanist clubs in high schools here. I'm just telling you, you invite dark things to come and dark things will come. Idolatry. What do you mean idolatry? I don't have a golden calf in my yard or, well, we're probably the most idolatrous country that's ever been. We worship money. We worship pleasure. We worship our kids. Anything that you put before God is idolatry. You had 168 hours, but you didn't have one hour for God. That is idolatry. And here's one. How many have ever told a lie? Hold your hand up. If you've told a lie, it makes you a... Now, how many didn't raise your hand? Hold your hand up. Okay, we've all lied. All of us have lied. These are Jesus' standards. He meant what he said. He cares about us and he cares about his place. What he is saying with these categories, you will not get in to the new Jerusalem based on your performance. Because we're all broken. We're all rotten. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. It will be only through the shed blood of Jesus when we accept his forgiveness and relationship. And he says there's nothing unclean that will come into this city. Because the minute I walk into the city, I make it unclean. The most important things are there. Like what, Steve? Well, he is there. Everyone say that, please. He is there. Now, the Lord has touched me. The Lord has spoken to me, never audibly to my ear, but to my heart. And I've enjoyed his presence, but the time will come. We will see his face. I had a friend whose father died very early, and she grew up without a father. Maybe you grew up without a good father. Maybe you had a father that was a wicked man. But she said, when I get to heaven the first thousand years, I'm going to crawl up in my heavenly father's lap and just let him love me. Another thing is there is that we are there. Is that good or bad? I think that's really good. We are there. You've given your heart to Christ. You will be there. You've been saved. You'll be there. We are his bond servants. We serve him voluntarily, not being forced. And here's another wonderful thing that I just, it touches me. It makes me live for this. And that is they are there. Everyone say it, please. They are there. What do you mean the they? Loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord. In the last three years, we as a church family have lost a lot of people that went home to be with the Lord, mainly men. I bet we've lost 17, 18 men my age or older, none of them from COVID, one woman, seven, 18 men, and I was close to every one of them. During COVID, I'm trying to read my Bible, 
sitting in my, my office at my home and a sadness just came over me and tears ran down my face and I didn't know why I had this sadness because I'm, I have a lot of joy. I don't get depressed, but I realized the weight of losing one friend, another friend, a third friend, a fourth friend, doing those funerals, standing at the graveside, saying goodbye, hugging the family was a weight that I was carrying and I didn't know it. And friends that we've had over the years. We will see in heaven in long-awaited reunions. It's going to be awesome. As I said, uh, done a bunch of funerals. The end is, Jesus says, whoever's name was not found in the book of life. They're cast into the lake of fire. He didn't ask if you were a Methodist. He didn't ask if you were Mormon. He didn't ask if you were Catholic. He didn't ask if you were an atheist. He asked, is this person's name in the book of life? When I get asked to do funerals, I normally do funerals unless I can't because I want to tell people about Jesus in heaven. And I've seen more people receive Christ at funerals than I have church services. Because the picture is right there. There's the casket. There's mom's body. Mom lived for Jesus. Mom's told all you children to live for Jesus and serve him. And you see her body. You know where she is. And if you don't get this now, you probably will never get it. And when my father died at age 74, I made sure that I did his funeral in my home church because I wanted to make sure that the gospel was shared with his business buddies, his hunting buddies, and men that didn't know Jesus. I was not going to trust the pulpit to anybody. And six or seven of his friends in their 70s gave their heart to Jesus. And when my mother died in 1996, I did her funeral. I didn't know if I could do her funeral, but I did her funeral. And when the service was over, as a pastor and as a son, I followed that casket down that center aisle, out the door of the church, around the corner of the church for where that grave had been dug. We're all going to have our last day one day. For the Christian, it's your best day. Because my dad knew Christ. My mom knew Christ. There's a woman sitting back there that I love, and I've been married to her 42 years. And when I met her, I was biblically smitten. And she wouldn't go out with me for about two months. I guess she was an astute uh, uh, surveyor of character so she wouldn't go out with me finally I wore her down and she went out with me 
uh, on our first date, which was taking a youth group somewhere. Isn't that a great first date? A couple months later, Christmas was coming up, and I, I wanted to marry that woman. And I didn't know what to do. I'm kind of an awkward, clumsy guy. And, you know, we have in this English culture the 12 days of Christmas, this limerick, this rhyme, this song. And I decided I would get her a present a day for 12 days to try to woo her to this unworthy man. So I had flowers delivered at her school where she taught. The teachers liked it. She thought it was creepy. I delivered some candy to her house. She had me over for a meal one night and I happened to bring a little necklace and I slipped into her bedroom and I put it on her pillow. She didn't know I did it and that creeped her out too. (laughs) And so I did something every day and she actually didn't know it was me or maybe she didn't want to know. I don't know. So I was running out of money and running out of creativity. So I didn't know what to do. So we lived on a farm. I took a shovel and I dug up a 40-pound rock. It was about this big. And I painted it Clemson orange. And I was going to take it to her school and put it in her Volkswagen before she got there as a surprise. But I painted it and I realized I got a 40 pound rock and it is wet paint. What am I going to do? So I opened my mother's oven, cut it onto 350 and I baked it for an hour. It hardened to paint. Then I had another problem. I got a 40 pound orange rock with two painted eyes on it. And what am I going to do with a hot rock? So I got oven bits. And I put it in a sturdy box. I mean, it is smoking as I walk. And I put it in my dumb old, stupid, broken down car. And I drove. I drove to the school where she worked. And I didn't want her to see me. So I got down on my knees, pushing that box with that orange rock with two eyes that was smoking. And I'm pushing it down a line of teachers' cars. And back then, we didn't lock our cars, and I gently opened her car door and put the box with the orange rock, with the white eyes that were stalky, creepy, that was still smoking, and I put it in her seat so she'd have to notice it, right? She knew there was a stalker after her then. But she married me six months later anyway. It's been a good 42 years, but I have kept up a present a day for 12 days. It's because she's my best friend and all the stuff we've been through, she's worth it. One year, about six or five years in, because we wanted children and we had trouble having children. I mean, I was a youth pastor, love kids. She came from a family of seven. She was an elementary teacher. We both loved children. And when you want children and you can't have children, it's hard. We went to doctors. We did medicine. We did surgery. And it just didn't work. We called out to God. And one day I came home from work about Christmas time. She fixed me a great meal because I had to go out and do some kind of ministry 
And so I'm eating at the counter and I'm about through my wonderful meal and she takes a little box wrapped in Christmas paper with a beautiful red bow and she pushes it beside my my plate. I said, what's this? She said, well, you've been giving me presents all this time and so here's here's one, one for you, one. I said, do I open it now? She said, you better. So I opened it up and pulled out two tiny pairs of tennis shoes about this big. And I, such a smart guy, I said, well, honey, I can't wear these. My, my, foot's, my foot's a lot bigger than this. And then I realized, I said, are you with child? She said, I'm two months along. And we, we jumped and danced around that kitchen floor. But about a month later, she lost that child. And we didn't know if we'd ever have children. And we came to the place, Lord, if we don't have children, it's okay. We'll be parents to a lot of kids. We'll see that child in heaven. One last story. Worship team, would you come out? I'll probably cry over this one. American Civil War was brutal, like all wars. I lost a lot of family members in that three generations ago. 600,000 young men died in combat or died of disease. This is the Battle of Petersburg outside of Richmond, one of the most brutal battles ever. After a battle was over... There was a union surgeon who had been operating all day long in the tent trying to save lives. He hadn't eaten or slept in days. He had a white apron. It was white when he put it on and now it was drenched in dried blood. He had blood up to his elbows, blood spattered in his hair. And he was so tired, he just wanted to go somewhere and sleep. He wanted to eat something because he'd had so much of war. And as he was going to, to get in his carriage and his horse to go rest, stepping over bodies of Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers, he's just walking to that carriage and he hears on the right side a faint voice that just says, Hear! And he turns, and 30 feet away, he sees a young Confederate soldier propped propped up on one elbow. As he walks over to him, he notices two things. He's just a boy. He's 14 or 15 years of age, and he's been shot in the stomach, which in those days was fatal. So that surgeon knelt beside that boy, cradled him in his arms. The boy opened his eyes and the surgeon said, son, I'm going to stay with you. I'll stay with you till your eyes close. This young boy said, doc, 
you don't have to wait. Because I heard heaven calling my name. I heard the muster roll in heaven. And the Savior called my name. And he's coming for me. And when he said that, the boy closed his eyes and took his last breath. Heaven is so real. Why would you miss it? Why would you think you're good enough to get to heaven on your own? We'll only get there by the blood of Christ and by receiving the gift of salvation. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you do that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior, if you're not sure that heaven is your home, you're watching online and you're not sure if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. Why don't you pray with me like I prayed years ago? A simple prayer commitment. Just say with me, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart today and be my Savior and Lord. I give you my life. Give me heaven as my home. And I promise to serve you as you give me strength. If you prayed that prayer, hold your hand up right now. If you prayed that prayer, wonderful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Anyone else? After the service is over, or even during these next two songs, I want you to come down if you prayed with me, and I want to greet you and pray for you. Take the Lord's table, please. which is a symbol of his presence. Put the bread in your hand. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were broken so we could find healing. You came and died for us and we receive your gift in Jesus' name. Likewise, take the cup. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Shed so we could be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We accept your sacrifice in Jesus' name. all stand as we worship to these last two songs. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing a song of ages to the Lamb.
great 
Almighty loves you so much he gave his only son walk with him, serve him, obey him Lord thank you for this time put heaven in our hearts so we will be effective for you until that day we see it build your church thank you for our honored Korean friends being with us all week, we love them so and we ask all this in Jesus name Amen. Pick up your children. There's people here that will pray with you. If you need ministry, get prayer before you leave. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.